This is gonna be the best day ever. This is gonna be the best day ever. Wake up. Top of the morning, the bacon is crispy, the coffee is pouring. My meditation is peeling an orange. The bank says I'm already scoring. I got a parking spot right outside. Step into my brand new ride. All we ever get is green lights and blue skies. This is gonna be the best day It's going to be a good day today, I think, after that. So, no, it's great to have you guys here at the Medina East Campus. Like DJ just said a moment ago, if you're a guest with us or if you're a returning guest, and so if you were here for Easter and now you're back again, hey, thanks so much for being here. We're glad you're here. If you're online, if you're joining us on live stream, uh, just a quick shout out to you too. Thanks for prioritizing, connecting with us in these ways. And so if you are a guest or you're a returning guest, I am so excited you're here this weekend because we are starting a brand new series here today. And uh, we often times say that a new series is is really one of the best opportunities to get acquainted with the church. And so I would encourage you, if you're new or if you're just checking us out for the first time, to maybe even consider just locking in for the entirety of this sermon series, that that would give you a chance to get to know the church, and hopefully that would get a chance for us to get to know you too. We'd, we'd absolutely love uh, doing that. So start a new series today. The series is called Happy. It's called Happy. And you can probably guess what we're going to be talking about for the next uh, few weeks together. We're going to be talking about the topic of happiness. And uh, some of you, my guess is maybe you're intrigued by the title and the topic. You might be asking, so why are we talking about happiness and why are we talking about it now and, and kind of what's behind that? So let me let you in on a little bit of why we decided to do this series and why we decided to do it right now. Uh, there's actually two big reasons. There's a lot, but there's two big reasons. Here's the first one. The reason that we're doing this series, we're talking about the idea of being happy, is because here at the Medina East Campus, of Grace Church, we, we believe, we literally, uh, historically, um, in, in real time, space, and history believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And, uh, and I know that some of you are still investigating Jesus and you're still trying to figure out what you believe about Jesus. And by the way, if that's you, we're glad that you're able to be with us too. But here, we, we, one of the things that we would say as followers of Jesus is that our whole faith is fixed on the event of the resurrection we talked about last week. So one of the reasons that we're talking about happiness is because we believe that Jesus truly, literally rose from the dead. Now, some of you might be like, I don't know if I'm making the logical connection between those two things, and that's okay. My hope is to actually make that connection as we uh, go through the message. But here's the second reason why, and this is maybe the more obvious reason why we're talking about this, is because everybody wants to be happy. Everybody wants to be happy. Let me just ask you a quick survey, show of hands. How many in this room would say, I want to be happy? How many would say that? Okay, yeah, I think most of us. And some of you didn't raise your hand. That's probably because you'd be happier not to. And uh, I think it's just true. I think we all just want to be happy. And, and I think this is true throughout history. You know, happiness has really been the great pursuit and has been, and I think in a lot of ways, the great question that has been confounding humans throughout human history. Uh, everyone has been trying to figure out what does it look like to live a fulfilled life? What does it look like to truly be a, a fulfilled and a happy person? And so this has always been a relevant topic, but I might even say this. I might say that in the time that we live in right now, the time and place we live in right now, this is maybe more relevant than it ever has been before. And uh, the reason for that is because there is an increased desire for the pursuit of happiness. I thought this was 
super interesting. Uh, there actually was a study that was done by uh, Barnes & Noble, and they actually found that in the year 2000, there was 50 books that were released with the word happiness in the title. It was back in 2000. 2008, eight years later, there was 4,000 books that were released with happiness in the title. It's a staggering trend, if you think about it. And uh, psychologists and uh, sociologists would say that over the past 15, 20 years, there's been this rise of what they've actually called the happiness movement. That there's this increased desire for people to figure out what does it mean to be happy. Uh, We actually did a series a while ago uh, here called Emotions. And in that series, I actually pointed to a, uh, a very famous class that was offered at Yale University. And so there was a, 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 one of the uh, doctors of psychology at Yale. Her name is Dr. Lori Santos. She actually studied the psychology behind happiness, and she wanted to find a place to present her findings. And so she offered this class that was called Psychology and the Good Life. So she opened it up for registration. She thought that she would have about 30 students max register for this course. But instead, she had over 1,200 students register for this class. It's actually a picture of the opening day that they had it. This was the biggest class that Yale University has ever seen in its 300-year history. Uh, After they offered this course live, they decided to do an online version. They offered it online. They had over, get this, 300,000 people register to take this course. I think that's telling us something, and that is that we are searching for happiness. We're searching for it. And I mean that figuratively. I also mean that literally. We are searching for happiness. I actually went on Google uh, this week, and I did a search, and I just typed in how to be H. That's all I typed, and I let, I let uh, autofill finish the rest of it. And what's interesting is look at the top 10 results. How to be, number one, happy. Number two, how to be happy again. Number three, how to be happy alone. Number four, how to be healthy, how to be humble, how to be happier, how to be happy with yourself. And then, I don't know, this one made me laugh. The last one, how to be headless in Roblox. <laughs> because, you know, that's something important that people are talking about is how to be headless in Roblox. But you notice that six out of the 10 that show up are about happiness. They're about happiness. It's just, I think it's what shows that we're looking for this. But what is really fascinating is that over the past 15 to 20 years that the happiness movement has flourished, at the very same time, our nation has been growing sadder and more depressed and more anxious. Uh, Many of you know this. The statistics over the past 20 years of the increase in depression and anxiety and sadness in our country has just skyrocketed. I thought this was pretty interesting. Back in 2020, uh, fall of 2020, there was a survey that was conducted by the Healthy Minds Network. They surveyed over 3,200 college students, and they found that nearly half of those that were surveyed said that they wrestled and struggled with anxiety and depression. That's at an all-time high. Now, of course, that's in the midst of a pandemic, so that makes sense. But even before the pandemic, even before that, in 2017, there was a Harris Poll survey that was done, and they said that happiness in the United States was the lowest of all time that they've ever seen. Only one in three of Americans identified themselves as happy, which means this. It means that of your coworkers and your friends and your neighbors and the people that you see in life and the people you interact with, two out of three of them, if you ask them if they were happy, would say no, that they're not. And um, I think maybe for some of us, even who are here right now, if we're being honest, maybe we can read these, these, these stats and quite honestly, we resonate with some of this. And some of us maybe are in a place where even directly or secondhand through another person, uh, we're experiencing some of that even in our own lives. Many of us can identify with the, with, the, with the feeling of pursuing something that we were so sure 
was going to lead to fulfillment and was going to lead to happiness, but in the end, only left us hungry and maybe even hungrier for happiness than it did when we first began. And some of us have experienced that. Many of you have. Maybe for you, for example, you were so sure that if you got that job, you were so sure that if you got that promotion, you were so sure that if you got that raise, then you would find fulfillment. Then you would be satisfied. Then you would be happy. A way to find out that when you finally got it, that it ended up leaving you hungry for happiness still, maybe even still all the more. Some of you felt that way. Maybe you thought, if I just had that relationship, if I just got into that marriage, if, I just, if we were just able to get married, or maybe for you, maybe you thought, if we just got divorced, then I would be happy, and you did, and you got that relationship, or you got out of that relationship, and the thing that promised it was gonna make you happy only left you hungry for happiness. For you, it's that thing you pursue, that toy, that vacation, that whatever it is, and it's left you hungry for happiness in fact, if some of you are being really honest, maybe for some of you, you would say to me that you can't remember the last time that you were genuinely and you were truly happy. Maybe you feel that way. And so this might come as a surprise to you that when Jesus Christ begins his most famous teaching, his most famous sermon that he ever gave, what's so interesting is that he actually does not begin by giving a code of ethics. The place where Jesus begins his most famous sermon is he actually begins by talking about the idea of happiness. He actually talks about happiness. And that's actually what I'm going to show you today. So if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open them up with me. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 5. All right. So I would encourage you, everyone who's watching, whether you're on live stream or you're in person, I would love it if you had a copy of God's Word in front of you. We could look at that together. Matthew chapter 5. You didn't bring a Bible? That's totally cool. We have some for you under the chairs. Page 785 is where you're going to find Matthew chapter 5. And if you don't own a Bible, you can have one of ours, okay? We, we want you to have it. We'd love for you to take that home and read it. So Matthew 5 is where we're going to go. Now, as you're locating Matthew 5, let me just kind of tell you what we're, about to, what we're about to jump into here. So Matthew 5 actually is the beginning. It contains within it Jesus' most famous body of teaching. It's actually a three-chapter sermon that is sometimes called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, you may have heard of that before. It's Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, and Matthew chapter 7. And this sermon that Jesus gives, uh, this is the lengthiest sermon that we have recorded uh, in any of the Gospels. And it's actually thought that this sermon is a distillation of the main body of teaching that Jesus would have took with him everywhere he went. So the Bible is going to tell us that Jesus went from town to town. He went to village to village, and he would have proclaimed the message about his kingdom. He would have taught the people. And what would he have taught them? Well, uh, most commentators would say that the distillation of what Jesus would have taught is contained right here in the Sermon on the Mount. So this is really Jesus's main teaching is what we have right here in front of us in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you've never read the Sermon on the Mount, by the way, maybe you're kind of new to the Bible, man, I just really want to encourage you, maybe even this week, read those three chapters, Matthew chapter five, Matthew chapter six, Matthew chapter seven. It is, it is seriously one of the most incredible sermons, one of the most incredible teachings, I think, of all time. And when you read it, I think you're going to see that it is something that is marvelous, it is incredible, and it's also perplexing. Uh, it is one of those teachings that uh, throughout centuries, uh, scholars and, and um, theologians and political leaders have marveled at the beauty of the teaching of the mound. And they also many times have puzzled over some of the confounding things that it says within it. And so it's such an amazing, powerful, life-changing sermon. It's, I think it's absolutely changed human history. And where does Jesus begin when he begins his most famous teaching? 
Well, I want you to notice where he starts, where he starts. He starts here in Matthew chapter five. We're gonna start off in verse one and he starts with these 10 verses. And by the way, these are the 10 verses that we are going to spend the next four weeks in this series talking about. So Matthew chapter five, starting off in verse one. And when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, okay, so here we go. This is gonna be Jesus's first, first word of his most famous sermon. And what is it? Say it out loud with me. Blessed. I heard some of you say blessed, which is great. That's just, I think that's an indication that maybe, maybe you grew up around the church. Blessed. So his first word, blessed, he said. He starts with this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So how does Jesus begin his most famous sermon ever? He starts with these 10 verses, and you'll notice over and over again, the word that he repeats is this word, blessed. It's blessed. And uh, this passage, these 10 verses, some of you actually know this already, and some of you might not, but let me just see, uh, for those of you who might, this, this passage is actually famously called something. It's sometimes called the, you know, the Beatitudes. Yeah, a lot of you know that. So Beatitudes might sound weird to you. Mike, why do they call it that? Uh, the reason they call it that is because the word Beatitude comes from the Latin word, which means blessed. So it's basically the blessed. That's what we're reading right now. And that word blessed actually comes from a Greek word, which is the original language that the New Testament was written. And that word literally can be translated happy, be happy. Blessed or happy is the word that he's going to use here. Now, I think when we read these verses, you'll see that there is so much, there's so much that we can think about and there's so much that we can talk about as it relates to these 10 verses. And there's so much that we will. So over the next few weeks, we're gonna dig, dig these things out. We're gonna talk about what they mean and what Jesus means within them. But today, as we introduce this series, so today is just an introduction, I actually wanna begin by just giving us three very basic but very important observations that I think are gonna carry us into the next weeks. And what are they? Well, here's the three things that I want us to notice together in these 10 verses. Okay, I, want, I think that these three verses are telling us, first off, I think we're gonna see the definition of happiness. So I wanna show us in these 10 verses, I think we're gonna find a definition of what happiness truly is. Number two, I think in, this, in these 10 verses, Jesus is showing us the pathway, the pathway. How do you get to this? How do you get to true happiness? And then number three, I think that Jesus is actually revealing to us, I think in this passage, he is actually revealing to us the location, the location, where is it found? Right, so, so, so basically, what is it? How do you get there? And then where is it found? It's those, those three things. So let's start at the top. Let's talk about the definition of happiness. So the most obvious observation when you read the, the Beatitudes is that there is a repeated word that's used and it's this word that's blessed. And I told you it can also be translated happy. Now here's, here's the interesting thing. I think that at face value, when I say happy or when I say blessed, I think all of us think maybe it seems like a simple idea. Like if I said, are you happy? My guess is you wouldn't say, well, define what you mean by happiness. My guess is you probably just say yes or no. But if I asked you, can you define happiness for me? 
I think you'll see that it's actually a little bit more complicated than we might think at first glance. There's a lot of different opinions about what it means to be happy. And that's where I think the word that's used in the Greek language is actually really helpful because the word that's used in the Greek language is very enriching and is very enlightening. So here's the word. I'll, I'll show it to you. It's translated blessed or happy, but it's this Greek word right here. It's makarios is what it's called, makarios. And I don't know why, but when I first heard that, to me it sounded like Mario Kart, <laughs> which also makes me happy. So go, turn to your neighbor, say Mario Kart, say Mario Kart. I don't know why I had to do that. That's not even... The Greek. Turn your neighbor and say, not Mario Kart, Makarios. Tell them that. Okay, it's Makarios. All right, good. Makarios. So what is Makarios? It's a, it's a really awesome word. It's very, it's, like I said, it's very enriching. It's very enlightening. The word Makarios carries with it this idea of possessing something. It's possessing something. And what do you possess? Well, a few things. So first off, it means possessing God's favor. It means this is the kind of person that God is with and God is for. If you think about it, when we say the word bless, we usually mean that, right? Like if, if I see someone, I say, man, God has really blessed you. Or man, it seems like you're a really blessed person. What am I saying? You're the kind of person who it seems like God's favor is on you. So Makarios has this idea of you're a person who possesses God's favor, but it's more than that. It's also possessing a deep sense of well-being, a deep sense, an internal sense of well-being, not external. In other words, this is talking about something that's not circumstantial. Right? This is not based on what's happening around you. It's not based on whether you're having a good day or a bad day. This is not based on whether your life is going smooth or whether it's a wreck. This is not based on whether it's snowing outside or whether it's 75 degrees and sunny, right? This is talking about a deep inner sense of well-being. And it's also talking about possessing an enduring fulfillment, which means this isn't momentary. This isn't flickering. This is actually something that stays. It stays. It has longevity to it, right? And that's the idea. I love the way um, one commentator, Dallas Willard, said it. He said this about the word makarios. He said, makarios refers to the highest type of well-being possible for human beings. But it's also the term that the Greeks would use for the kind of blissful existence that was characteristic of the gods. So in other words, he's saying this is a, this is a happiness that's not of this earth. This is an unearthly kind of fulfillment. That's what he's talking about. Another commentator by the name of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said this about Makarios. He said, Makarios carries with it the idea that this is the kind of person who is to be congratulated. So he said. That was interesting too. And so basically, when, when you think about this idea of happiness, the Bible's gonna say that it is this deep sense of God, God, is, God favors you. You have God's favor. It's this deep sense of well-being that's, that's not circumstantial, and it's this enduring sense of fulfillment. And I don't know about you, maybe I can just speak for myself, but that sounds incredibly appealing to me. That sounds incredibly appealing to me. And, and here's what I believe. I believe that the reason that Jesus starts his sermon, where he starts with this idea of talking about the blessed life, is because I believe that Jesus Christ knows that we were actually created for that. We actually were created for Makarios. We were created for that kind of fulfillment. That actually leads me to the second thing that I want you to notice here, and that's this. I think Jesus is gonna show us the definition of happiness, but then secondly, I think we're gonna see the pathway to happiness, the pathway. So I think the first most obvious observation when you read these 10 verses is the repeated use of the word blessed. But I think the second most obvious observation, and my guess is it probably struck you as we started to read it, 
was the incredibly paradoxical, counterintuitive definition that Jesus gives of a person who is happy. I mean, did you see what Jesus, I mean, just to give you a high level overview, Jesus said, this is the kind of person who is Makarios, a person who's poor in spirit, a person who mourns, a person who's meek, a person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, a person who's merciful, pure in heart, peacemaker, a person who is persecuted because of righteousness. Jesus would look and say, that is the person who's happy. That is the person who is Makarios. That is the person who is blessed. And listen, I just, some of you, You've never read these words of Jesus before. This is your first time reading this. And I actually think that in some ways you're in a better position than those of us who are familiar with these words. Because for some of us, we've heard these words and they've lost their shock value. But listen, the whole point of this, when you read this, is it should be shocking. It should shock you. And I can just tell you this, it definitely would have shocked the first hearers. They would have been shocked by this. Now, this was really interesting. So back in this time when Jesus delivered this sermon... Um, I, I just learned this this past week, but this, this kind of teaching where Jesus gives the Beatitudes, that actually was a very common thing that Jewish rabbis would do. It was a very common way of teaching is they would say, this is what it means to be blessed. This is the kind of teaching, by the way, that finds its origins all the way back in the Old Testament. So you actually see some of this in the Old Testament. What I thought was interesting is there actually was another very popular rabbi who lived about 100 years before Jesus, whose name was actually Jesus. It's interesting. Very famous rabbi. His name was Jesus ben Sira. And Jesus ben Sira was a very famous, very popular Jewish rabbi. And we actually have his teaching preserved for us. So we know what he would have taught. It's recorded. And when he comes out and he teaches, it's, there's actually, you can read it. It's called The Wisdom of ben Sira. Do you know how he starts his teaching? It's really interesting. He starts his teaching with Beatitudes. He starts his teaching with blessed. But I want you to notice Rabbi Jesus Ben Sira's list, and I want you to think about how different it is from Jesus of Nazareth's list. So here's what Jesus Ben Sira said. In my heart, I would consider nine conditions to be blessed, Makarios, and a tenth my tongue proclaims. And then he goes on, he says this. Blessed, Makarios, are people who are made glad by their children. So if your children make you glad, you're a blessed person, which for some of us, that is, we're in trouble on that one. Uh, <laughs> Makarios are those who live to see the downfall of their enemy. Blessed, blessed are those with sensible wives. Blessed are those who do not slip with their tongue. Blessed are those who don't serve one inferior to themselves. Blessed are those who gain good sense. Blessed are those who find a friend. Blessed are those who speak to attentive listeners. So apparently I'm a very blessed man now because you all are very attentive. Some of you are like, I don't even know. I wasn't paying attention. What'd you say? And uh, so you're stealing my blessing, man. So but greatest is the one who finds wisdom and none is superior to the one who fears the Lord. I want you to notice, this is a list that these people would have been very familiar with. They would have been familiar with this and they would have known this rabbi, very famous teaching, and he's giving a list of blessings. And what does is, what is Rabbi Ben Sira, Jesus Ben Sira, say about the blessed life? Well, he says, the person who's favored by God, the person who is happy is the person who has kids, which that hits, immediately hits a sore spot for many people who are here today. What does it mean to be happy? Happy is the person who wins, sees the downfall of your enemy. Happy is the person who doesn't have to serve people who are lower than them, who are inferior to them. I think Jesus had a thing or two to say about that. Uh, blessed are those who speak to attentive. 
Blessed are the people who people like to listen to. Those people are happy. And what's fascinating is, I don't know about you, but when I read this list, I thought to myself, you know, I wonder for so many of us, which list of beatitudes do we tend to resonate more with? Which list do we think actually is the better definition of the happy life? Is it Jesus of Nazareth or is it Jesus ben Sira? Which one? My wife and I were talking about this this week and we actually said, um, you know, if we were to make a list of beatitudes for our culture, if our culture was to say happy is this kind of person, we said, what would that list look like? And so we just kind of started making one up. Here's what we came up with. I don't know, see if you agree with this. We said, maybe we'd say stuff like this. Blessed are those who follow their heart. We'd probably say that. I think there's this narrative that happiness is found in self-expression. Happiness is found in follow your heart, follow your dreams. Don't let anyone try to tell you what you can and cannot be. Maybe we'd say this. Happy, blessed are those who are free from responsibility. That the true way to be a happy person is that you need to untether yourself from anything that would cost you of yourself. How about this one? Blessed are those who live comfortably. I think maybe in our society, we'd say that a truly blessed person, a truly happy person is a person whose life contains no turbulence, contains no struggle. Uh, Blessed are those who find fulfilling relationships. And that might resonate with some of you. Maybe you're a single person and in your mind, you're just convinced that the way to be happy is that you were just in a fulfilling relationship, but that would be the way, that'd be the pathway that you'd be a truly happy person. Blessed are those who are at the party, right? Just fun, that's it. How about this? Blessed are those who have a lot of money and toys. One of the guys on our staff, actually uh, DJ, who was just up here a minute ago, he said something I thought was funny. He said, I, I said, I never saw anyone frown on a jet ski. And I thought, I actually thought two things. The first thing I thought was, that's true. That is true. And the second thing I thought was, and I think it'd be really funny to actually see that. Wouldn't that be funny to just see some like sad clown on a jet, like just, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it'd be funny, so. Blessed are the high achievers. Blessed are those who have impressive and well-adjusted kids. Blessed are fill in the blank. And I think, I think all I'm saying is I think that we have a very different, different definition of what the pathway of happiness is and compared to Jesus of Nazareth who gives us this list right here. And I think it makes us ask this question, what is Jesus actually saying here? Like, What's he actually getting at? And again, here, here is where I think it's really important that we understand the context. One of the things that we say here at Grace all the time is that context helps us determine meaning. And so what's the context? Well, go back to chapter five, verse one, and I want you to notice what it says. It says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. That's fascinating. We actually know quite a bit about what was happening and we know a little bit about the scenario in which this took place. So um, archaeologists and commentators actually speculate where this teaching took place. We actually know pretty well where this teaching would have happened. And most likely it would have happened somewhere around this area right here. You can actually go visit it today. Uh, this is the Lake of Galilee. And then around it is just kind of like these rolling hills. Actually very beautiful. It's just very beautiful kind of scene. And um, I don't know, sometimes I think we can get this idea and I don't know, maybe I'll just speak for myself. Sometimes I get this idea when I read the Sermon on the Mount that when Jesus was teaching, that it was this very tranquil, serene landscape. It was like this beautiful, kind of like, almost like motivational talks with Jesus by the lake. And I almost imagine that Jesus was like hanging out, maybe had a cup of coffee or something, or I don't know what they drank back then, but a cup of you know warm tea or something. I imagine he was there and, and everyone was around and everyone was like at peace because they're by the lake. And then Jesus just dropped these like one-liners. 
And everyone was just like, oh, man, that's good. Yeah, oof, Jesus. Wow, man, Jesus, that's deep. Oof. And sometimes I get the impression it was like that. And I fail to take into context that what happened right before this. And what happened right before this, I think, is going to show us that this is actually was a very charged atmosphere. It was full of tension, and it was full of expectation. What happened right before this? Well, look at chapter 4. Just go back one chapter, and look what it says in, right before Jesus taught this in verse 23. It says that Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. So basically, Jesus was like on a synagogue tour. He's going around to different synagogues, and he was teaching. And what was he teaching? He was proclaiming the good news, which is also the gospel, about what? About his kingdom. About his kingdom. Now, this is huge. Jesus is going around synagogue to synagogue, and what is he teaching? He's telling them that he is there to, to establish a kingdom. He says, I'm the one who's been promised from the Old Testament. I'm going to bring a kingdom, which you have to understand is a radical claim. It's a radical claim. But not only does Jesus claim that, but notice what he accompanies that claim with. He also is healing people. And so Jesus says, I've come to bring a kingdom. And then he authenticates that claim by actually healing people who are doing Just imagine that for a minute. Imagine that there was someone who was coming around saying they were going to start a kingdom and they're actually physically healing people. Imagine the commotion that that's going to cause. Imagine the attention that's going to draw. That's exactly what happened. Because look what the Bible says. It says, news about Jesus spread all over Syria, of course, because he was healing people and he was telling people about that he was going to bring a kingdom. And people brought to him, now here's what I want you to notice, all who were ill with various diseases, those who, suffer, who were suffering in severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Now here's what I want you to notice. In Matthew chapter five, verse one, it says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he began to teach them. Now who were in the crowds that he saw? Uh, those who are ill with various diseases, suffering with severe pain, the demon-possessed, people having seizures, and the paralyzed who had been healed. Those are the people who were there. In other words, I think what this is telling us is this is the broken. This is the outcast. These are the types of individuals who probably very seldom were congratulated. And now they're coming in to hear Jesus teach, and Jesus goes up on a mountain, and he begins to teach them. So it's going to say, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, by the way, I just, just have to mention this super side note. I wish we had so much time to geek out on that real quick. But that's actually very significant, that little word mountainside. It's actually intended to remind us of another time that God came down on a mountain and brought his law to his people. That would have been back in the book of Exodus. There's so much we could say about that, but we'll just have to leave it there. So he's up on a mountainside, and he sat down. He sat down. Some of you are like, and that's a big deal? It's actually a big deal. And you're like, is that just because he was like tired? He's like exhausted from healing all the people. He's like, I really need to take a load off. And he sat down. No, the reason that's important is because that was actually the official posture of someone who is teaching with authority. When a rabbi would teach with authority, he would sit down. It's actually the opposite of art. So in our day, when a teacher teaches, they stand up and everyone else sits down. But it was the opposite in this time. So when the Bible says that Jesus sat down, that's basically saying Jesus is about to bring some authoritative teaching. Jesus is about to drop some truth. So the Bible says he sits down and he begins to teach them. And then what does he do? Well, then he gives the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. It's so counterintuitive. It's so paradoxical from the way that we think. What is Jesus doing here? What is he doing? Well, here's what I, I'm convinced of. I believe what Jesus is doing 
is he's revealing to us something about the pathway to happiness, the pathway to makarios, the thing that we're created for. He's telling us about the pathway. And I think what he's revealing to us is this, is that, is that we are created and designed for makarios. We are. But oftentimes, the, the way that we try to pursue that is, 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 is as, as, as obvious as it seems to us. Jesus is going to say that they're actually, we are actually going about it the wrong way. And I think what he's trying to tell us is that, that the way to truly experience Bakarios is counterintuitive to us. It's actually opposite of the way that we tend to think. And a lot of times I think what he's saying is that our pursuit of happiness, the thing that we are created for, we go about it all wrong and we actually need to go about it in an entirely different way. I think an illustration might help here. So um, as I was studying for this and thinking about it over the past few weeks and trying to really think about what Jesus actually meant when he said these words, I, uh, I couldn't help but remember this time. So a long time ago, years ago, I was at this mall and it was kind of like this, this dilapidated mall, sort of older. It's kind of like this, uh, this old mall. And I was in the food court of this mall. And uh, as I was eating, I was looking up and in the food court, there's like all of these... Uh, there's like this big skylight and all of these windows that are up. You guys ever see something like that when you go into a food court? It's like a bunch of windows. It looks something like this. I, this is not a picture of it, but it, it was something like this. And so I'm sitting there and I'm looking up at this thing. And I noticed that there was like, I don't know, probably a half a dozen or more birds that were flying around up there. You guys know how in these old malls, sometimes birds get in there. So there's these birds that are up there. And I was fascinated by it. So as I'm eating, I'm paying attention to the birds partly because I was interested and partly because I was eating and I was like, I didn't want any extra sauce on my food. So I was like, I'm just going to try to protect this. I was watching the birds up here and I noticed something interesting. I noticed that all of them were perched up in the rafters and in the, right on the other side of the window, like right on the other side of the window, is just this beautiful blue sky and these clouds, which by the way, they were created to soar in. They were created to fly there. And as I'm watching these birds um, sitting on this thing, I noticed that every once in a while, one of them would try to go to the sky. They'd try to fly into the sky. And right, you know, it's so obvious to them. It's right there. And so they would fly, but of course they'd hit a window. And they would just hit the window and they would flutter and just hit it again and flutter and hit it again. And then eventually they'd just get tired and they'd go back and perch back down again until they regained their strength and then they'd just try again. And they'd fly up again, they'd hit the window, and they'd hit the window, and they'd come back again, and then maybe they'd try to find, you know, uh, food or something. They'd go back up and they'd try again. And I also noticed as I was watching this that along the edges, there was even what appeared to be a couple of birds who had died. And my thought was, I wonder if they just, if they just tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and tried until eventually they just didn't make it. Or maybe they hit the glass too hard one time and they just died. And this weird thought came across my mind. I remember just feeling... I remember feeling kind of sad for these mall birds. It's weird. And I remember thinking, this is going to sound like such a crazy thought to some of you, but I remember thinking, I wish there was a way that someone could tell them. Like, I almost wish I could speak bird or something. And I could, I could tell them that the thing, the thing that they're longing for, that this blue sky that they're, they're aiming for, is real. It's real. And it's attainable. Like it actually, you were actually created. It's a good desire in your heart. You were created for that little bird. Like I wish I could tell him that. But the way that you're going about it is all wrong. It's backwards. 
And paradoxically, if you actually want to get out, if you actually want to go up, the best way to do it is actually to come down. And if you come down, then you're closer. Closer to what? To the door. Because through the door is the way and is where the location of the thing you were created for truly is. There's some way. I wish I could have told them that somehow. If only they could trust that there was an opposite of what everything that was intuitive into them. If there's only a way they could trust to find this paradoxical way to the thing that we were created for. Now, my guess is that even as I'm saying that, you're probably making the connection that I'm trying to make right now. And I think that this is in a lot of ways what Jesus is trying to tell us. I think Jesus is trying to tell us this. You and I, we are created for Makarios. The desire in you to be happy, the desire in you to be fulfilled is a good desire. It's a real thing that God has placed in you. You were made for it. But I think Jesus would look at us and he would say, the way that we try to pursue that and the way that we try to obtain that is all wrong. It's all backwards. It's because we think, the way to, we think the way to go up, or we think the way to get out is to go up. We need more. We need more. How do you become happy? You go higher. You, you, you get the raise. You, you, get, you chase after the achievement. You get more money. It's more sex. It's more fun. It's more whatever. More mo- it's more toys. That's how you experience happiness. But over and over again, how many times do we need, need to hear another person tell us they tried, they, they thought for sure that thing was going to lead to happiness, but in the end, they hit a window and they said, that's not it. That's not, how many times have we heard that story? How many birds have to hit the window before we actually believe them? That as, as obvious as it seems to us that that's the way to happiness, that it's not. See, and Jesus would say, it's the bird on the ground. It's the bird who hit the window and is on the floor who's actually more fortunate. Why are they fortunate? Because they're hurt? No, they're fortunate, listen, because they're closer. They're closer. Why is the person who is brokenhearted blessed? Why is the person who is poor in spirit blessed? I think what Jesus would say, it's not because they're poor in spirit and it's not because they're sad. It's because they're close. They're close. They're actually closer. To what? To the location of happiness. And that leads to the final thing, the location. So where's happiness found? I think the Sermon on the Mount and specifically the Beatitudes actually reveal to us the location of where true happiness is found, true fulfillment, true makarios. I want you to notice something interesting. In the first beatitude and the last one, so the first of, of the list and the last of the list, there actually is parallelism that's used. The first one says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the last one says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so what is Jesus saying? I think he's saying this. You're not happy because you're poor in spirit. You're not happy because you're persecuted. Why are you happy? Because you're in that state, you're closer to the location of happiness. And what is the location of happiness? It's the kingdom. It's the kingdom of heaven. And what is that? Well, let me just say, there's a lot we could say about the kingdom. There's a whole lot we could say about it. Um, But just suffice it to say this. Simply put, the kingdom is the place where God is the governing authority. That's what it is. Real simple. To be in the kingdom of God is to make Jesus Christ the king of your life. That's what it is. It's the place where Jesus is the one who defines and directs every aspect of you. He is the one who sits on the throne of your heart and you allow him to call the shots in your life. And the Bible would say, what Jesus would say, is that when you're poor in spirit and when you're, when you're mourning, you're closer. Why are you closer? Because you're more receptive and willing to say that you need Jesus. The location of Jesus 
Jesus is the location of where true happiness is found. Fulfillment, makarios, which you were, which you and I were created for. The way Stanley Hauerwas put it, Stanley Hauerwas is a commentator. So too often those characteristics of the Beatitudes are turned into ideals you must strive to attain. As ideals, they can become formulas for power rather than descriptions of the kind of people to whom Jesus first brought the kingdom of God. I love what he says next. Nowhere does Jesus tell us that we should try to be poor in spirit. Jesus never commands us to be poor in spirit. Jesus never tells us that we need to mourn all the time or try to get ourselves persecuted. He's simply announcing the great surprise that these people who are not significant or honored in their society are precisely the ones who have received the honor to be first among those who are called to God's kingdom. Why are they blessed? Because they're broken? No, they're blessed because they're close. They're close to the location. To make Jesus Christ the king of your life is what it means to be part of the kingdom. And what does it take to make Jesus Christ the king of your life? You have to be poor in spirit. You have to recognize you need him. You have to know you need him. What does it mean to make Jesus the king of your life? You have to be meek. You have to be humble. You have to be willing to say that Jesus actually knows the, the way and that what seems, intu- what seems to be counterintuitive to me, I'm gonna trust him and I'm gonna follow him. That takes humility to do that. And so Jesus would say, this is the kind of person who is blessed. So why are we talking about happiness? All right, so two reasons. The first one is because uh, I think we all wanna be happy. And yet it seems that our relentless pursuits to become happy have only left us hungrier for happiness. Maybe we're going about it the wrong way. The second reason that we're talking about happiness though, and I mentioned this at the beginning, is because we believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, literally rose from the dead. And some of you might be saying, okay, so how is that connected? Why does Jesus raising from the dead have anything to do with happiness? And here's where I want to make the connection. If you were with us last week for Easter, we, we talked about this. And by the way, if you were here for Easter, welcome back. And what we said last week, if you were here, is we said this, if Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead, we said then Jesus Christ makes no sense at all. His claims, his teaching, Everything he said about heaven, everything he said about hell, everything he said about happiness, we said you can disregard all of it if Jesus Christ didn't raise from the dead. Why? Because if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, you know what that means? He was another bird who claimed that he knew the way to get out, but he hit the window and he died. That's what he is. That's all he is. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then this is a big waste of all of our time. Even reading what he said is a gigantic waste of our time. But if he did raise from the dead, here's what we said, because he rose from the dead, that means that we need to take everything he said very seriously about life, about God, about himself, and about happiness. Why? Because if Jesus rose from the dead, he's the only one who got out. He's the only one who escaped the confinement of death and he's soaring into new life and he's come to show us the way and he is the way. And if we follow him, we can enter into the life that God has called us into. And so as we jump into this series, what I wanna encourage us all to do, and especially those of us who follow Jesus, is I wanna encourage us to take what Jesus said very seriously. Because if he rose from the dead, then I think that means that we need to listen to everything he said. 
everything. And sometimes I think there's this tendency, especially in our culture, where sometimes we can kind of pick and choose the parts that we like about Jesus's teaching and disregard the other parts. Sometimes we teach Jesus's teachings the same way that I interact with a bag of trail mix. I take the morsels out that I like, and then I leave the rest for everyone else. And I'm just like, "Ah, I'm just going to ignore those parts. We can't do that with Jesus's teaching. We can't say, I like this part and I like that part, but I don't understand that part and that part's confusing to me and that part doesn't make any sense, so I'm just gonna walk away. If he rose from the dead, we gotta take it very, very seriously. And so my hope is over the next few weeks as we look at Jesus's paradoxical path to happiness that we will come with open hearts to hear from Jesus, the one who rose from the grave. I'm gonna ask the band to come up and uh, as they do, I just wanna say very quickly, if you're a person who's investigating Jesus here today, Maybe you're someone who's still exploring your faith and you're just trying to figure it all out. Now, you know, we always say this, we count it such a privilege that you'd let us be part of that investigation. But maybe it's possible that you find yourself here today and you have, um, you have been pursuing a vision of what a fulfilled life looks like. You've been, pursu- you've been pursuing a- an idea of what happiness is and you have found that over and over again that your pursuits of happiness and fulfillment have left you hurting and have left you hungry for happiness. You find that it's a window and you keep flying into it. And maybe you're finding yourself here today and the reason you're here is because you're trying to find answers. Maybe you feel disillusioned about the whole thing. Maybe you feel like all the things that you thought promised happiness have left you hungry for happiness and now you feel like you're in a broken place. And if that's the case, I think Jesus would look at you and I think he would say, you're actually blessed. And the reason you're blessed is not because you're hurt. The reason you're blessed is because you're close. You're close. And maybe it's possible that even today you're willing to admit that you've tried to define and direct your own life and it's only led to more pain and more frustration and more hurt. And maybe for you, you wanna open your life and give your life to Jesus. Let him be the king of your life. Let him be the king. He loves you. He created you. And the, and the pathway to Makarios that he set out for you is going to be counterintuitive at times. But I would encourage you to put your trust in him, put your hope in him and follow him because in him is life to the fullest. You can do that right now. You can talk to God, do business with him as we worship and we sing. Let's pray together. Well, God, I wanna say thank you that you've come to bring life and you've come to bring it to the full. Thank you that you've created in us a desire for deep fulfillment, to be happy for the blessed life for Makarios. It's not a bad thing, but God, we often go about it the wrong way. And so I pray that we'd look to you as the author of life to be the one to tell us how to truly live. I ask that in this next series, we come with hearts with expectation. We wanna learn from you. We wanna see what you said. We wanna take your stuff serious. God, I pray you'd help us to be people who are defined by what you say. And uh, so God, as we worship and we sing, I pray that we do so with full hearts, Lord. I pray that you'd use your words this week to mess with us. We invite you to challenge the way we think change us, transform us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.